0: your place in your Bible with me tonight at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Tonight we finish, this will be the last message in the Dear Paul series, and we will not be coming back to 1 Corinthians except maybe to reference it or maybe for a single message from the book at some particular point related to something God leads us to talk about, but Studying the book from beginning to end, we'll not be doing that again for some time. We've spent, as of tonight, 39 Sundays of 52 in First Corinthians, and I hope that I haven't worn you out. I hope that you have enjoyed the study. I hope that you've learned in the study. I hope you've been challenged by the study. I hope you've been comforted at times by the study. I hope you've been convicted at times uh, by, the, by the study from 1 Corinthians. It's the first time in a long time that I've preached through an entire book on a Sunday morning. I've done that on Sunday evenings a a number of times, but it's the first time I've done it on a Sunday morning in some time. I was talking to a a younger pastor not too long ago, been several months ago, but not too long ago, and I, I was asking what he was preaching on. He was preaching on the book of Luke, And I said, well, how long are you going to stay in the book of Luke? He said, I've already been in it going on three years. And uh, there's a lot in Luke to cover. Um, But I'm not gifted enough or talented enough to spend that much time in one book without people looking for another place to go hear a preacher. But tonight will be our 39th message. Uh, Matt Wilder said, we need another message. We need to make it 40. Uh, The problem with making it 40 is that there's about... Eight or ten others I'm thinking of that we probably should turn to and should deliver, and it would end up being 50 or 55 messages long. So we're going to end tonight. We're looking at specifically two verses, but I want to read beginning in verse 12 of chapter 16 down through verse 14. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. These next two verses, there's five imperatives. If the Apostle Paul saw fit at the end of this letter to leave these five imperatives, meaning that they're commands, they're not suggestions, then I think it's worthy of us finishing out by looking at the five imperatives ourselves. He says, watch. That's number one. Number two, stand fast in the faith. Number three, be brave. Number four, be strong. And then number five, let all that you do be done with love. Those four imperatives I want to put into, or excuse me, those five imperatives, I want to put into five short statements. So if you're taking notes, you'll want to write down these five statements. The first thing he says is watch, or if you will, here's the statement, be alert. To watch here doesn't mean to just watch like you watch the TV mindlessly without paying any attention to what's going on. And when you're asked by your wife or your husband, what was the the theme of that story? What was the theme of that movie? And you have to look at him or her and say, I I don't know. I was watching, but I really wasn't watching. That's, That's not what he's talking about here. When he says that we're to watch, he's telling us He's telling these Corinthians, and by way of the Corinthians, he's telling us that we have to be alert. We have to stay awake. We have to be in the moment. We have to be aware of our surroundings. A few years ago, we had officers who came and had ladies to come to a meeting, and those officers taught them about self-defense and security and making sure that they were safe when they were out and about. And one of the things they told him was that you have to be aware of your surroundings. That's what it means here when he says to watch. It means to be alert. And if there's anything that we have to learn from what he's telling us here is that if you don't know that you're in a battle, it's certain that you can't win that battle. You have to constantly be on alert. My uh, grandson is learning to drive, and the other day he and I were riding together somewhere, in. I was talking to him about uh, his driving and just giving him, you know, granddad advice. And I don't know if he was listening or not, but we were talking together and I was giving him granddad advice. And I said, you know, it's not so much you that I worry about because I know you're going to be safe. You're going to do the right things. You're going to follow the rules. You're going to be a good driver. It's those other nuts that are on the road that scare me to death. And you have to be alert. You have to stay awake. You have to stay in the moment. You have to be aware of your surroundings. I was going home uh, one night in the last uh, few nights, and we have a, I don't is it a herd of deer? Whatever you call a pack of deer or whatever you call them. A whole bunch of deer, as we say in Georgia. There's a whole bunch of deer in this community. I don't know if you know that or not. All up and down West Pea Ridge, they roam the ridge. They own the ridge. And I know that, and most of our people know that. The people who work here certainly know that. We've seen them everywhere. They're in our neighborhood. If you want to go hunting, you don't have to go far. Just come to my neighborhood. You could help thin them out. That'd be a good thing. But I'm aware that when you turn into our neighborhood that you have to be alert. Sure enough, I turned into my neighborhood, and there was one right in the middle of the road. And thankfully, I was alert. I knew to be watching. I knew to be paying attention. I knew this is not a moment to, you know, this is not a time to get out of the moment and just sort of let my mind drift. He's telling us here that we have to be alert. We have to stay in the moment. We have to be aware because the reality is we're in a fight, and the enemy is always looking to destroy us. He's always looking to take us down. Uh, Leon Morris says, to be alert means a determined effort at wakefulness. A determined effort at wakefulness. You remember, Jesus took the disciples to uh, the, the garden with him before he was arrested. And he left them just outside, at least most of them, just outside the garden. And he comes back and he finds them doing what? Sleeping. He wakes them up and He goes back to pray again. He comes back. He finds them sleeping. And what does he say to them? He says, could you not, what's the word, watch with me one hour? Could you not stay in the moment? Could you not be aware of your surroundings? Could you not be alert? Could you not be aware? Because the enemy, like a roaring lion, 1 Peter chapter 5 it tells us, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, the enemy, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. I was watching an animal, one of those animal shows, and there were two antelope. They're out in the wild, and they're hitting each other. You've seen probably these same kind of things. When they've got their antlers, and they're hitting each other, they're in a fight with one another. And what they don't recognize is that there's a lion who's crouched down and creeping closer the devil doesn't mind if we fight each other as a matter of fact he's perfectly pleased if we fight each other because it diverts our attention away from the one who is the real enemy and it keeps us from being alert to the fact that he's creeping up on us and he wants to destroy us and he wants to take us down in the world in which we live today, really in the world always, but in the world in which we live today, we cannot let down our guard. We have to be aware and we have to be alert to the things that are going on around us. Ephesians chapter 6 says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers, the rulers of darkness. There is an evil world that is seeking to take away and destroy you, destroy your family, to destroy the people in your lives, to destroy your church, to destroy churches in general. There's the enemy that wants to destroy, if at all possible. Uh, We have three primary enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world are the world's philosophies and the world's ideals, uh, the world's thinking, uh, the, the world's a way that is contrary to the ways of God. And John says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. If you love that world that is contrary to the ways of God, then the love of the Father is not in you. The love of the Father is not in you in a controlling fashion. The world, the flesh, that's that inner drive that all of us have that pushes us to do that which we know we shouldn't do, what isn't right for us to do. And that flesh that constantly lusts after things that are, that are wrong. And the devil himself, he doesn't come to us with a pitchfork and in uh, a red cape and with horns on his head. He comes to us as an angel of light and he seeks to destroy and you have to be alert. Here was a church that needed the reminder to be alert, right? I mean, think about all the things that they've been dealing with. Think about all the things that have caused problems within this congregation from their own immaturity where they're fighting with each other to where they're suing one another at the courts of law over minor issues that shouldn't have to be settled in a courtroom uh, to allowing immorality to exist in the congregation and doing nothing about it to discipline to all kinds of other forms where they were not loving one another and showing compassion to one another. All of these things were going on in this congregation. He says to this church, wake up. This kind of evil exists all around us. Be alert, I would say to those who are heading off to college. Be alert. Watch. There are going to be those seeking to destroy your faith, to undermine the foundations of your faith. I would say to you parents, there's there's an enemy who's seeking to destroy your children, if at all possible. He's he's lurking. He's lurking. And if the kids aren't watching, then we have to be watching as parents. There's an enemy that wants to slip into our churches, false teaching and false doctrine and get us to compromise the truth of the Word of God so that we fit in with the society around us and we are more accommodating to the society around us. And all of that is stuff to which we have to be alert. We have to stay in the moment. We have to be watching. And we have to understand that we have an enemy that's seeking after us. Our culture regularly says there's nothing wrong with homosexuality or lesbianism or gender fluidity or transgenderism or fornication or cohabitation or profanity or vulgarity, and the list can go on. Surely you don't live by a book that's antiquated, 2,000 years or more old. Why would you be living by a book that's so out of date? We don't live in the first century like the Gospels give to us. We live in the 21st century. Get out of the past. And yet, the Apostle Paul comes and says that kind of stuff's been going on since the beginning. It's going to go on until Jesus comes and sets it all right. And so you have to stay alert. You have to stay alert foolish is the parent who lets their children raise themselves for the most part and doesn't stay alert or doesn't care about who their friends are, the friends of their children. It doesn't care about where they're going or what they're doing. A parent has to stay alert. A Christian has to stay alert. How many of you, because your company has to deal with The government, you're having to take DEI training, diversity, equity, and inclusion training, and you're being told things within that DEI training that you know is contrary to your faith. But they're going to force you to accept it. They're going to look at you and tell you you're the one that's out of step, and your job's the job that's uh, in jeopardy if you don't follow along and do what we tell you to do in this respect. And churches have moved in the same direction. Churches have begun to accept this kind of conduct and this kind of behavior and to redefine the Scripture. We have to be alert. We have to be alert. By the way, that's one of the reasons God gives you pastors. They are here as shepherds to be alert where you're not looking and not paying attention. They're supposed to be looking and paying attention. Be alert. The second thing he says he says watch then he says stand fast or another way to say that is this little phrase if you want to write it down first is be alert the second one is stand firm and literally he's saying keep standing it's an imperative but he means to keep on standing one of the places that you find that this verb used is in Exodus chapter 14 verse 13 in the Septuagint i was looking up this word and uh, in the definition of the word, it gives you all the places in the New Testament where it's used, and then you get down to the bottom, and it shows you where it's used in other places, in other contexts. And one of those contexts was in this passage that I just mentioned to you, Exodus fourteen thirteen, 13, uh, where the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, used this exact same Greek word. And, and, and listen to what's going on in that passage. The children of Israel have just been delivered out of of Egypt by the miraculous hand of God. The death angel passed over. The firstborn that didn't have the blood applied to the doorposts of their home all died. And the Egyptians are ready for the, the Jewish people to go. Just go. Take the things we're giving you. Just go. Get out of here. We don't want you around here. Please get out of here. And so they're fleeing. They're getting out with all of these things that have been given to them. This is a huge body of people that are moving out of Egypt and now they're moving toward the Red Sea. And unfortunately, they're facing the Red Sea before them. And what comes behind them is the Egyptian army. When the Egyptians realize that all of their slave le- la- labor has just left them, they decide they got to go after them and they got to recapture them. And so behind them, they have, you've heard, being trapped between the devil and the deep blue sea. Well, they're trapped between the Egyptians and the deep Red Sea. And They're looking at the Red Sea. They're seeing the Egyptians come behind them. And Moses says to the people who are frightened about what's going on, he says, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand firm. Don't give up your ground. Don't give up the ground. Um, Stand firm against giving up that ground. The American church, for some reason, is cursed with the inability to have a made-up mind. They can't make up their mind. They can't settle on a conviction. They can't settle on what is the truth. They just are constantly shifting from one thing to another. They're blown about by every wind of doctrine and by every preacher that comes along. They're just blown about by everything that happens. They don't have a made-up mind. And if you don't have a made-up mind, you most certainly are going to be taken down. Because when you're at that ball game. And uh, they ask you to pass the beer from you to the person who's sitting next to you. If you don't already have a made up mind, you're going to end up passing that beer. Or you're going to be sitting with people and you're going to be listening to things that you know Christians shouldn't be listening to. And if you don't have a made up mind, you're going to keep sitting there and you're going to become defiled by the conversation that's going on. Or you're going to be amongst your friends who are your peers who are leading you in a direction you shouldn't go, and you know you shouldn't go. You know your parents wouldn't want you to go in that direction. But if you don't have a made-up mind, the result is you're going to go along with a crowd and do whatever they think that you ought to be doing. Do you get what I'm saying about a made-up mind? We live in a society, especially in an American culture, with the church where we don't have people who have the ability, for some reason, and churches and church leaders that have the ability to have a a made-up mind. Can you imagine what would have happened with the three Hebrew children when they wouldn't bow? If you don't bow, you're going to be thrown into this terrible punishment that awaits you. Can you imagine? Can you see those three Hebrew children having a, having a, uh, uh, a meeting together? They huddle up. That's what I was trying to find, the word. They're, they have to huddle up so you know, hey, guys, what do you think we should do? Do you think we should go ahead and bow? I mean, I mean, this is a pretty touchy situation. If we, if we go ahead and bow, we probably can stay out of the problem. We can continue to have a positive impact on all these other people if we just go ahead. and. But somebody says, well, I don't know if we should do that or not. We, we've been taught better than that. Our Jewish heritage has taught us better than that. Our God has taught us better than that. Can you imagine them huddling up and trying to decide what to do in the given moment? What do the three Hebrew children do? They have a mind that's already made up, no matter what you do we're not going to do what you're asking us to do. You have to have a made-up mind. That's what he means, to stand firm. You have to stand firm. And the answer that we have to give in the society in which we live is not the answer of, well, I think this about it. Uh, I, I don't like it when we study the Bible and say, I believe it says i think it says i say those things too i use those words sometimes as well so i'm not judging you or condemning you for that because i've been guilty what we need to be able to do is study the word of god well enough that we know what it says and when somebody's asking us a question we have a made-up mind about it and we say the bible says this is what god says you don't go say well that's what the pastor says this is what the bible says In the Bible becomes the authority. Turn with me for a moment over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He uses this word again in verse 15. And notice what he says. Therefore, brethren, here it is, stand fast, have a made-up mind, and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or epistle. Have a made-up mind. We have so many people who can't decide as to what they even believe be alert stand firm stand firm stand fast and will you notice carefully he says stand firm where in the faith there is no more important place for us to stand firm than in the faith We don't compromise on the vicarious death or the virgin birth of Jesus. We don't compromise on his sacrificial death for us. Did I just say that? I said the vicarious death. The sacrificial and vicarious death of Jesus. We don't compromise on the sinless life of Jesus Christ. We don't compromise on the inspiration and the infallibility and the inerrancy of the Word of God. We don't compromise on the truth that. Jesus is coming again. We don't compromise those things that are in the faith. We have a made up mind about them. (sighs) I know pastors that have moved from being pre tribulational to being post tribulationist. Good night. Don't you think you would have had that settled before you ever got in the pulpit of a church somewhere to begin preaching and to begin teaching? Have a made-up mind. Stand firm. Stand firm in the faith. We don't compromise the faith. You say, well, what if everybody leaves and goes to the liberal churches? We don't compromise the faith. You say, well, everybody else is letting them live together in the Nobody's saying at the other places about homosexuality, transgenderism, blah, blah, blah. blah. Nobody else is saying anything about that. We continue to preach the truth. We preach the truth. If there's a small group or there's a large group, we preach the truth. We stand firm. We stand firm. We have our minds made up. Listen, if you don't know what we believe by now, you haven't been here long enough to know maybe, or you're just not paying attention. You're just not paying attention. Number three, we have to be alert. We have to stand firm. Number three, we have to grow up. We have to grow up. Watch. Stand fast. Stand firm in the faith. Be brave. It's an interesting little word. Some translations, especially the King James, translate it this way. Quit you like men. Wow, that's an old English word. Quit you like men. You know what he means when he says quit you like men? It means to act like men. And all the wives are saying, oh, no, no, not like my husband. Please, no, no, no. That's not what we're talking about here. But when he says to be brave, to to quit you like men, to act like men, he's telling you that we need to act like responsible adults. Act like responsible adults. Uh, Have you noticed uh, how immature so many people who say they've been Christians for a long time really are, and how much they whine and cry and have to be pampered and taken care of like a little baby who has to get its diaper changed and has to be fed with milk that's been prepared by somebody else because they've never learned to feed themselves or take care of themselves. That's what he's talking about. Grow up, start being responsible, become a person of character live your life without somebody having to constantly come behind you and correct you and motivate you. Get up and get moving. Grow up. You expect a child somebody in adolescence to have to be reminded and motivated. You expect an adult to need less reminding and less motivation, right? Grow up. Grow up. First Corinthians chapter 13 verse 11 says, "When I became a man, I put away When I became a man, I put away childish things. You remember when you were a kid, uh, you men especially, maybe some of you ladies that loved to play sports, remember you got hurt out on the field, and uh, of course some of your mamas would run out to you on the field if they would have let them do that, and they would have hugged you, and they would have kissed your boo-boo, and uh, you would have been taken care of by your mama. What was your daddy saying? Daddy was saying, oh, just it's okay. Just go ahead and cry it out. Rub it in. Just rub it in. It'll go away. Just rub it in. Get up. Get up. Rub it in. Some of you are saying, what in the world? Who raised you? That's what my daddy told me on a number of occasions. Just get over it. Get with it. Rub it in. You know what God's saying? You know, when you get your feelings hurt, just just rub it in. Stop acting like a baby, expecting somebody's going to come and going to coddle you and make you feel good about yourself. When you hear a sermon that's convicting and it gets to you and they say, well, you stepped on my toes. Well, I'm not trying to aim for your toes. I'm looking for your heart. And you get under conviction and, and it's really bugging you. Well, first of all, get it right with God. Then rub it in and get up and get moving. You say, well, he preached something I didn't really like. Well, you know what? You know what? If it's out of the Word of God, it doesn't matter whether you like it or I like it. It's the Word of the living God. And so just rub it in and get up and be a responsible adult and do what you're supposed to do. I get so weary of having to motivate people that ought to be motivated without having to be motivated. Did you get that? I don't know what I said, but I think it was profound. I get tired of having to motivate people that ought to be motivated without being motivated. Can't you grow up and just do the right thing? If you're supposed to be at work at 8, go to work and be there at 8. If you're supposed to get off at 4 or 5, work till you finish your work period. If you can't be there for some reason, call them and tell them why you can't be there and ask for one of your sick days or your days off. Why don't people have to go behind and constantly be pumping you up? Are you still a child? And sometimes over the past 41 years, Mary and I just get up on Monday morning and we rub it in. And we just keep going. You just keep going. That's what he's talking about here. Quit you like men. Act like men. Be responsible. Put away childish things. Start acting like an adult, a spiritual adult. And if need be, rub it in and get moving. That's what he means. Do you get what I'm saying to you? Grow up. Grow up. Life isn't easy. It isn't always fair. There are hardships, sickness exists, tragedies occur, reversals will happen, death comes. That's the reality of the life in which we live. This is the sin-cursed world. This is not the kingdom of God, and this is not the new heaven and the new earth. That's the way things are. My daddy died, and it hurt, but you have to rub it in and keep moving. And my mother died, and it hurt, but you have to rub it in and keep moving. And I have family members that have broken my heart extended not near relatives but extended relatives that have broken my heart and you have to rub it in and keep moving can't throw up the the surrender flag and walk away and say ah you know what if this is what god is like then i'm just come on man grow up act like an adult and understand you have responsibilities and you move forward you rub it in and you move forward grow up By the way, they needed that encouragement, didn't they? Paul said, I'd like to feed you with something stronger than what I'm giving you, but the only thing you can handle is milk. That's the only thing you can handle. You're still little babies. You shouldn't be that way, but you're still just acting like little babies. And you realize that a lot of the things that people get upset about in churches, now I'm preaching to the choir. None of you are in this category. But you understand that a lot of things that people get upset about in the church are just absolutely childish if you're a new believer i understand i get it but if you've been saved any length of time sometimes uh, you just feel like saying deep within your spirit though i don't say it would you just grow up just rub it in and keep moving so he's telling them first of all be alert stay in the moment watch your surroundings stand firm especially stand firm in the faith Have a made-up kind of mind where you know what you believe. You know what you believe because it's found in the Word of God and stand there. If your children don't stand there, you stand there anyway. If your parents don't stand there, you stand there anyway. And you grow up. Grow up! But fourthly, he goes on here. He says, watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Then he says, be strong. Again, studying the Word itself is interesting understanding. If you're writing phrases down. Be alert, stand firm, grow up, keep fit. That's what he's talking about here. Keep fit. This word is used of Jesus in Luke chapter 1, verse 80, and Luke chapter 2, verse 40. It's used in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, strengthened by his spirit in the inner man. And what he's talking about here primarily is the strength. It isn't so much the strength, but of the strengthening. Let me see if I can make that clear. What he's talking about here primarily isn't the strength, but the strengthening. Now, I'm going to draw a picture in your mind that I wish I, I, I'll probably later wish I hadn't done. But you have probably seen bodybuilders. I know you look at me and wonder why I'm not a bodybuilder. Um, You've probably seen bodybuilders. You've seen them. They, they they, they work out and exercise and then they get up on the stage and they stand up and they pose and they flex their muscles and the the scary thing is what they're doing before that looking at themselves in the mirror that to me is just, I can't understand that but they pose and and they they flex their muscles and they got got muscles where you didn't know there were muscles that existed and they get those muscles to bulge they rub themselves down with all that stuff to make their skin as shiny as possible they shave off all the hair so there's no hair on their arm gotta be strong, do I look like a bodybuilder? they gotta be strong and they're being judged thank you whoever that was I'm going to buy you a dinner. He's not talking about the competition where the bodies are being judged. He's talking about all of the work that went into those bodies becoming like that. Do you understand the difference? When he says here, be strong, he's talking about be strengthened. He's not talking about the strength itself where you're posing because you've been working out. He's talking about the workout itself. He's talking about the gym. He's not talking about the stage where you're posing. He's talking about the gym. He's saying, get in the gym and keep fit. Where's the gym? The church is one, the scripture is another, a life group is another. Witnessing to others, discipling people in the faith caring for those that are broken, reaching out to those that are lost. All of those things, that's the the work in the gym that makes your body look like the ones that are on the stage that are being judged as to who has the most fit body. And he's saying not show off your fitness, he's saying get fit. (laughs) Maybe that'll be my new new, uh, first of the year promise that I'm going to to get to get fit nobody wants to encourage me with that (laughs) he's talking about the strengthening that goes on how how do you stand firm how how can you be alert how how do you grow up well let me ask you how do you build muscle how how do you build endurance how how do you build your, your body you get in the gym and you work out you push those, those barbells and I don't even know what's in a gym. Whatever's in a gym. You do all those things that are in a gym. I spend a lot of time in gyms, you can tell. You do all those things that are in the gym and you're working out your body. You're, you're trying to, to get fit. That's what he's talking about. Get fit. God wants us to be people who get fit. And then fourthly or fifthly, be alert. Stand firm. Grow up. Keep fit. Be strengthening yourself all the time. Number five. You notice that the verse 14, he said, let all that you do be done with love. I don't think that's an addendum. I don't think he said these four previous things and said, oops, I forgot that. Let me add love to this. I think what he's telling you, I don't think I know what he's telling you here is that the context in which all of these things are done is the context of love. Now, not this squishy kind of love, emotionalism kind of love, where we just let everybody say and do and be and believe whatever they wish. That's not love to begin with. That's not real love to begin with. You don't watch your child running toward a street and say, well, let him express himself. You yell at your child as loud as you can yell. You get their attention. You'll get in front of them if you possibly can. You'll grab them by the collar and stop them if you can. That's love. It's not just this emotionalism, squishy kind of stuff that we think of as love today. But what he wants you to know is that everything that we do has to be done in the atmosphere of love. When you jump in the water, everything you do is in the context of the water that's around you, right? You can't swim without water, can you? That water's the the love, that whole context. That's where you operate is in that context of love. That's where you're operating in the context of love so that whatever you're doing, even if you have to offer correction or when you offer comfort or you offer conviction or whatever it may be, you're doing it out of a heart of love for the person that you're speaking with the person that you're speaking to it is the atmosphere of our lives now we all have different uh, you know we all have different appearances some of us have straight faces I hardly you know I have a straight face it's not that's a beautiful straight face but I have a straight face I mean I don't, I don't smile from ear to ear you know some people their smile goes from you know one temple to the other and they have these beautiful smiles. Don't you, I love the people that had their teeth all fixed and they're all whitened up and every tooth is there. Uh, <laughs> every, this was West Virginia now, listen. Every tooth is there. They got all that they're supposed to have, and they got them all white, and they're they're beautiful. They're absolutely beautiful. And I don't know why I brought any of that up. whether you have that kind of a appearance or whether you have this sullen look appearance that I have, you have to make sure that the motivation for everything you do, because you can smile really big and have hatred in your heart. And you can look like this and you can have, you can have love in your heart and do what you're doing because you love the person. And he says, whatever you do, he says, you ought to do it in the context in the atmosphere, in the surrounding, everything that surrounds you, everything that motivates you, let it be this love. Let all that you do be done in love. That means when you're driving that shuttle, you're doing it in love. That means when you're one of the hospitality team and you're welcoming people, you're doing it in love. That means when you sit down with your life group and you lead your life group, you're doing it in love. That means when you're talking to somebody in the building that you're fellowshipping with, you're doing it out of love. When you're holding a baby in your arms, you're doing it out of love. That means when you're taking care of those children, those toddlers that seemingly have more energy than any person should on the earth be allowed to have, you do it out of love, or you're dealing with the children and all the questions. You realize kids can ask some of the hardest questions on the planet, and you realize you do it with love, or you're dealing with teenagers, teenagers some of the most beautiful people on the planet. Really, they are. You do it out of love. You're working with college students or you're dealing with adults or senior adults or couples or you're counseling with somebody. Whatever it is you do, you do it out of love. I do it from love in my heart. Well, I don't feel that. Yeah, well, then get before God. Rub it in. Whatever's causing you not to feel it, rub it in, grow up, And let God fill your heart with his love. That's one of the fruit. That is the primary fruit of the spirit. But the fruit of the spirit is, what's the first? Love. Some Greek scholars say that love is, it's in the singular, the fruit of the spirit. How can it be nine qualities if it's a singular fruit? And some Greek scholars believe that the fruit is love, and out of love comes these different aspects, joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and meekness and temperance. Out of love comes all of these qualities because you're loving these qualities grow out of your life. Love always. And so Paul comes to the end of this letter What do you you think he should have said? What do you think you would have said? After you've read these verses with me and studied this book with me, what do you think you would have said? I probably would have looked at him and said, there's no hope for you guys. You guys are so terribly broken. I just think you ought to shut things down and move on. The Apostle Paul stops and says, no, no, that's not what we're going to do. He says to these Corinthians, be alert, stand firm, grow up, keep fit. And love always. And may that always be the truth that guides us in our own church.